the beautiful and palatial UltimateSportsTalk.com studios. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk show here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Every Thursday night, we sit back and we give our opinions on all sports and talk with the newsmakers. And tonight on the show, we're going to delve into college football once again as we continue our conference previews for the 2013 season. And we're going to take a look tonight at the Big 12 Conference, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State, and all the other schools that are involved in that conference. And we're going to do that in our second half hour this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell. So nice of you to join us here this evening. And, of course, you can join us on the social media here at UST.com, UltimateSportsTalk.com, simply by emailing us at dmitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com, or you can give us a tweet at OHBB co-host or at Alt Sports Talk. Well, let's start off this evening by going to Major League Baseball, and there is still no word from the league on the suspensions in the Biogenesis investigation. Alex Rodriguez right now is in negotiations, maybe even as we speak, and I think I'm speaking for a lot of people here tonight that I am so Sick and tired of this story. I just wish it would go away. I think a lot of you out there are too. We're entering August. The pennant races are heating up. You've got teams that are battling for wild cards and division titles. You've got players that have done it the right way. And we're sitting here talking about Alex Rodriguez, Nelson Cruz. And I just don't want to talk about it anymore, but it's the lead story. The trade deadline has passed. In fact, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about who were the winners and losers on Wednesday's trade deadline. Still, we're talking about something that happened three to four years ago, and it's time now for these players to pay the piper, just like Ryan Braun did of the Milwaukee Brewers last week. Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports talks about what's going on with Alex Rodriguez right now, and what is happening with him. Certainly all these things that you're hearing, lifetime ban, this year and next year, they all seem to be in play. The question is what baseball can actually accomplish, whether he will appeal and continue playing or serve his suspension immediately. This is still up in the air, and that a lot will depend on the evidence against him, what he is seeing from them, what baseball is showing they have against him, and the type of deal that baseball offers. These conversations are going on right now, and A-Rod, as we've seen, is a changeable individual. He can change his mind quite a few times. In terms of baseball's pursuit of players who use performance-enhancing drugs, this has been very positive. Baseball actually went outside its testing program to conduct this investigation, and baseball, through its joint drug agreement with the union, clearly is taking a very aggressive stance, too aggressive in the eyes of some. So, in terms of the future, the question is, well, will the union be really upset by what is going on here, or, because the union is part of the joint drug agreement, will they be part and parcel to what is going on? These are all questions that will eventually be resolved and answered, but right now the big questions are, who is getting suspended, when, and for how long? Certainly there's a feeling in baseball that perhaps he has lied to their investigators over the years. There's a feeling that he might have even obstructed this investigation. We don't know any of this to be fact, but these are some of the things alleged to have happened. So if all that's the case, and there is evidence that he used performance-enhancing drugs, they've got quite a bit on him. Gee, do you think A-Rod really did lie and impede the investigation of Major League Baseball into what was going on with Biogenesis? I think he's still doing it. Now, supposedly what's going on is baseball is looking into the best interests clause instead of the drug clause of their collective bargaining agreement to get rid of A-Rod. Supposedly they have told him if he does not accept a suspension throughout the rest of this year and through next year, they will give him a lifetime ban, which I wish they just would do it. Just get it over with and let the court fights begin. All the other players, except for maybe Nelson Cruz of Texas, there's some debate as to whether or not he is going to appeal But only he and A-Rod right now are the two players that will appeal anything that Major League Baseball hands down to them. The rest of the players, 
have accepted their punishment and will go into suspension the minute the Major League Baseball decides that those will begin. We'll stay tuned for that. Well, the trade deadline was Wednesday in Major League Baseball, and there really wasn't a lot that happened. John Palmarosi of Fox Sports explains what really did happen throughout the trade deadline yesterday at 4 p.m. Most of the important moves leading up to Wednesday's deadline came from the American League East. Most notably, the arrival of Jake Peavy to Boston from the Chicago White Sox in a three-way deal that also involved the Tigers. Peavy is going to give the Red Sox that veteran influence they need in their rotation using some of the payroll flexibility they got last August when they made that big blockbuster with the Dodgers. But don't sleep on the Baltimore Orioles. They've upgraded their pitching staff already this trading season with K-Rod and now added Bud Norris from the Houston Astros at a very reasonable cost. The Orioles are in third place right now, but I think they're a very dangerous team going forward. Meanwhile, this was a pretty strange trade deadline overall, in the words of one AL executive I spoke with, pointing out the fact that a number of teams weren't really all that active when probably they should have been. The Pittsburgh Pirates were one such team, passing up the chance to really add some experience to their roster as they search for their first winning season in 21 years. Meanwhile, the Mariners and Phillies should have been much more aggressive in selling than they were. Both really stood pat at the deadline, despite the fact that the Phillies had Michael Young out there of interest to both the Yankees and the Red Sox. Meanwhile, the specter of the biogenesis suspensions lingered over trade talks all week long. That was the reason the Detroit Tigers went out and got Jose Iglesias from the Red Sox. And frankly, the Rangers might be somewhat confident that Nelson Cruz would appeal any theoretical suspension he might receive as explaining their inactivity at the deadline. I was really surprised, and quite frankly, I think the Philadelphia Phillies and Seattle Mariners are really overestimating their ball clubs. There were a lot of GMs out there that said that they couldn't get anything done on the trade market because... A, there were too many teams that were still involved in wild card chases, and B, the teams that were actually selling just wanted an arm and a leg for whatever the teams that are contending wanted to get from them. But Philadelphia is going nowhere. First of all, they've got Washington and Atlanta to battle with, both better ball clubs than what they are. Secondly, you've got the Seattle Mariners, who Eric Wedge is coming off of a stroke. It's there's a concern as to whether or not he's even going to return this year. But Mike Morse was one of the players that Seattle supposedly was on his way to either Cincinnati or even Atlanta. And that trade didn't go through. Now, also there's another rumor that Michael Young waived his no-trade clause to go to the New York Yankees just before the trade deadline on Wednesday. The Yankees in Philadelphia furiously negotiated to try to come to a deal, but neither one would budge on what the asking price was, so Michael Young stays a Philadelphia Philly. Now, don't forget, teams can still make trades through the month of August to the 31st of August as long as the players involved pass through waivers. Now, that makes trading just a little bit more difficult, but not impossible. I thought the team that had the best day overall was really the Detroit Tigers. Everybody wanted to talk about this deal, the three-way deal that sent Jake Peavy to Boston as Boston getting the better end of it. I thought Detroit had an excellent day. They picked up Jose Veras from Houston on Tuesday. That'll bolster their bullpen. And then they picked up Jose Iglesias, the shortstop from Boston, which if Joey Peralta ends up getting suspended by Major League Baseball, that's going to leave a hole in the infield more so than if Peralta's even there. And with Iglesias, that shores up their defense. So I thought Detroit had an excellent day. And right now they've got a two-game lead over the Cleveland Indians in that American League Central Division. Cal Ripken Jr. is known for breaking Lou Gehrig's Ironman streak in baseball and is a Hall of Famer. But last winter, he and his brother Billy went through something nobody should ever have to. Their mother went missing for several hours, and it turned out she was kidnapped. They never caught the perpetrator. The reward for information leading to the man who kidnapped Vi Ripken last summer now stands at $100.
Baseball legend Cal Ripken Jr. announced that at a news conference on Thursday morning. After talking as a family with members and with members of law enforcement and friends, we decided that we would try to reignite interest in the case by putting up a $100,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest of the man who abducted mom a little over a year ago. In our minds, this is important not only for us and our community, but for all communities. We would like to get closure on this case and give all of us some peace of mind. It's a difficult emotional ride, for sure, and uh, I think in some ways maybe uh, this should have happened um, earlier, but I think with dealing with all the uh, different leads, and certainly in hindsight, you can be right 100% of the time. But uh, uh, we want closure. We want to be able to move on. We want to, uh, to feel a little bit more comfortable, and so I think if you look at it, and you don't know if he'll do this again. And so you have a sense of responsibility um, uh, to the next person. Uh, there's a possibility that th this isn't the first time he did it, and it might not be the last, so uh, you need to catch him. Vi Ripken was taken from her Aberdeen home at gunpoint by a middle-aged man. Her abductor then drove around in her own Lincoln Town car for hours throughout central Maryland before being returned to her neighborhood. The man was somehow able to leave the Lincoln with Vi Ripken in it less than a mile from the Ripken home and flee the neighborhood even though the police were patrolling there. Just simply an eerie story that Cal Ripken Jr. and his brother Billy had to undergo. Let's hope that they catch them. Let's move on to college football. And don't forget, coming up tonight, we're going to be previewing the Big 12 Conference in college football for the 2013 season. I'm Dave Mitchell. And today the college football poll was announced, and to no surprise whatsoever, the Alabama Crimson Tide were picked by the coaches to finish number one this season. They've won three of the last four national championships, and they're poised to do it again with A.J. McCarron back at quarterback and Nick Saban looking for another national championship. Now, number two, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Really no surprise there. They were unbeaten last year, 12-0, and but were unable to go to a bowl game because of the previous NCAA violations and probation that were put on them. Number three, the Oregon Ducks. They've got a new head coach this year after Chip Kelly left, and they are number three in the country. Now, they had violations also and are on NCAA probation, but... They are able to go to a bowl game this year, believe it or not. Stanford, number four this season. They're ranked number four. And Georgia, number five. So the top five, Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, Stanford, and Georgia. And the only question that I've got, Ohio State might be ranked just a little bit too high. And my reasoning behind that is it's almost impossible for a team to go unbeaten two years in a row. The Big Ten gets little to no confidence and they just don't the media members just do not like the Big Ten so Ohio State in order for them to make it to the BCS championship game and finish number two in the polls they would have to probably go unbeaten in the Big Ten can they do that two years in a row very doubtful but Urban Meyer may be able to pull that off well, in a story that you never hear anything about, by a two-to-one vote, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said EA's use of athletes' likenesses in its NCAA football and basketball games did not deserve protection as free expression under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Samuel Keller, the former Arizona State University quarterback and eight other plaintiffs, had claimed that EA Sports used their identities and likenesses without compensation. The decision upheld a ruling by U.S. District Judge Claudia Wilkin in Oakland, California, and sets the stage for Keller to seek class action status on behalf of the other athletes. EA does plan to appeal. Wilkin also oversees a four-year-old antitrust lawsuit led by former UCLA basketball star Ed O'Bannon, among the plaintiffs in the Keller case over whether athletes should share in the profits from the NCAA's broader use of their names and likenesses. Billions, with a B, of dollars may be at stake in that case. And in a separate decision on Wednesday, using a different legal test, the same Ninth Circuit panel unanimously upheld another judge's dismissal 
of NFL Hall of Famer Jim Brown's trademark case against EA over the use of his likeness in its Madden NFL video game. The O'Bannon antitrust lawsuit seeks to force the NCAA to give athletes a cut of the profits from broadcasts, memorabilia sales, and other business activities featuring them. Wilkin, in June, heard oral arguments on whether to certify a class action of thousands of athletes, but she has yet to rule on that. The NCAA did not immediately respond on Wednesday to a request for comment. On July 17th, the NCAA said it will not renew a contract that expires next June to license its name and logo for EA's college football game. EA stopped producing NCAA basketball in 2010. Well, it's the NFL Hall of Fame weekend, the annual party that happens every year in Canton, Ohio. And this year, the inductees include Larry Allen, Chris Carter, Curly Culp, Jonathan Ogden, Bill Parcells, Dave Robinson, and Warren Sapp. They've ascended to the ultimate team and will step to the podium all night. They were all voted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame earlier this year, and they'll be inducted together into the Shrine in Fawcett Stadium in Canton, Ohio, and it's always a big weekend. And Sunday night is the Hall of Fame game. That has the Dallas Cowboys playing the Miami Dolphins. Well, of course, by now you've probably heard about the Riley Cooper incident. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to say anything about what happened with this. The Philadelphia wide receiver made a stupid comment, but I think it's overblown and not worth talking about or even commentating about. Meanwhile, also in Philadelphia, Chip Kelly, their new head coach, he was storied with his fast-break offense in Oregon, and now he's trying to bring it to the NFL with the Eagles. Or will he? Because it appears the NFL has a problem with it. Fox Sports NFL referee analyst Mike Florio explains Kelly's offensive philosophy and if it indeed will be allowed. We're going to snap the ball quickly. Well, yes, once the officials allow you to snap the ball in an item in the Wall Street Journal, great case made for the differences between NFL officials and college officials. The NFL is not going to let that Chip Kelly offense move as quickly as it would like. Now, it can still move fairly quickly, but not as quickly as Chip Kelly is accustomed. And you have to wonder whether that means the offense is going to work the way Chip Kelly envisions. Is he going to get frustrated? Are the players going to press too hard? Is it going to create conflict between Chip Kelly and the officials and ultimately Chip Kelly in the league office? Just another wrinkle for what should be one of the most exciting and evenly matched NFL seasons of all time. Chip Kelly wants to put the pedal to the metal. Will the NFL let him do it? Well, that's the big question. The referees control the tempo of the game. The players do not. It's a very interesting philosophy that the NFL has put forward. Now, normally in every other sport, it's the players that set the tempo. But in the NFL, under Roger Goodell, it's the officials. Just another case of the league controlling what is happening on the field. And that's not what the game is all about. If you want to play a game of football, let's play football. If you want to play two-hand touch above the waist, then let's form an entirely different league to do that. Okay, the traditional AFC-NFC matchup in the NFL Pro Bowl has been eliminated. Big deal. Nobody's going to watch this game anyway. Why continue to play it? What they are going to do is they are going to have a fantasy-style draft with captains Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders as Pro Bowl team captains and two NFL.com fantasy football champions picking the two teams from a pool of players that was voted in, the NFL said. Now, this is what we're doing. We're using fantasy football leagues to pick two teams that are going to play a game on the field. This just seems to be completely crazy to me. Will more people be interested in the Pro Bowl draft or the Pro Bowl game? I get the idea you're going to have the fantasy football geeks interested in the football draft. The game is just secondary, and it's always between 
the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. It's a good place to have it. Unfortunately, the players really don't care about playing in the game. The players will be voted into the game by fans, coaches, and the players, but not by conference. The top six quarterbacks will be voted in like normal, but all of them could come from the AFC or they all could come from the NFC. The draft will be January 22nd next year and televised on the NFL Network, just another way to sell advertising for the NFL, and the game will be Sunday, January 26th. The NFL also said it's having a two-minute warning at the end of the first and third quarters, and possession will change at the end of every quarter, giving the fans more opportunities to watch the teams play in the two-minute drill. Also, another big change, the kickoffs have been eliminated. Zone coverage by DBs will be allowed and a shorter play clock. But the big thing is the kickoffs being eliminated. In my mind, this is just a way for the NFL to test their new kickoff rule. They wanted to get rid of the kickoff now for a couple of years. This is a way to preview it and see if it indeed will work. We're going to preview the Big 12 College Football Conference coming up in our second half hour. But before we get into that, just one other word about college football tonight. It could come unraveled. And when it does, it's going to be bad. Real bad. Those were words spoken by Paul Manziel, who's the father of Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Johnny Manziel of Texas A&M, who has had quite an offseason, just to say the least. Manziel has been running around like a chicken with his head cut off. He's been just about anywhere a celebrity could be this year. NBA basketball games, campus parties, professional football games. He's been just about everywhere. And for the most part, it hasn't been good. Menzel has had to apologize at the SEC media days for his actions. And just last weekend, he was seen being carried out of a University of Texas campus party, arm-in-arm with a couple of his friends hanging on to him, and he appeared to be inebriated. Of course, he had the famous incident at the Manning quarterback camp. Well, Pat Forty of Yahoo Sports talks about just what has been happening with Johnny Menzel during the offseason and what his father had to say about his Heisman Trophy winning son. Nobody knows him better, I wouldn't say, than, than his father. And, uh, you know, I can certainly understand fatherly uh, parental concern in in this instance. I mean, I'm sure he's very proud of all of Johnny's uh, achievements to this point, but, you know, your son goes off to college and, and he's going to be, you know, uh, probably sowing some wild oats. The problem is they're very public wild oats, and I think that, you know, there's probably a, a, an element of of anxiety dealing with with his you know public persona and how he's dealing with being such a public figure and you know I, I I think that there's probably a lot of people rooting for Johnny Manziel but probably a lot of people also watching to see if he is going to fall off the very high pedestal he's been put on. Well, in my opinion, he's already fallen off the very high pedestal that he was put upon. Maybe that's the reason that the Heisman Trophy Club in New York never had a freshman win the Heisman before because they're just too young to be able to not only appreciate it but handle the pressures of what comes with that award. Manziel's 20 years old. He's a regular college student. We've heard that for the past two months as Manziel has run around being destructive, except he's also the Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, he's a regular college kid, but what I want to wonder is tonight, what kind of father Paul Manziel is that would talk about his son to the media that way? I don't care if you've had these conversations with your son in private. Why would you air your dirty laundry about your son to the media like Paul Manziel did? In all honesty, the mother and father, the Manziels, are enabling their son with what they have not done as far as their actions. Hey, take away the BMW. 
Don't worry about this kid drinking. Don't worry about a call in the middle of the night from the police. How about a little discipline with this kid? Yeah, he's 20 years old. Yeah, your parents are rich. Yeah, they own an oil well. Yeah, the kid's got a BMW, and he probably doesn't need the scholarship that he's gotten to Texas A&M. But the fact of the matter is, your parental responsibilities don't end when your children go to college. I've had two kids that have gone to college. My parental responsibilities and their mother's did not end when they went to college. We're still their parents, even though they're grown and have marriages. This is just a, a situation where the parents are not taking responsibility for what this kid has done. Take away his car. Don't buy the tickets to the NBA game. Stop the madness right now. Don't talk about your kid in the media. What is that helping? And we're going to be back to take a look at the Big 12 conference and who's going to win it. We'll do that right after this time. Here's Dylan Michael with two on and two out. Here's the pitch. Michael swings, and there's a drive to deep left field, and that ball is gone. A three-run home run by Dylan Michael. With a shot, Michael now takes a lead in home runs in RBI. Last year's Rookie of the Year is having an even better year this season. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can order your copy of Last at Bat, Mark Donahue's novel, soon to be made into a movie, right here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. It's on the right side of the homepage of the website. Just click on that and go ahead and order your copy. Well, the Big 12 is a conference that has lost a lot of schools over the past few years, especially to the SEC and a couple to the Pac-12, which we'll be previewing next week. Last week we did the SEC. This week we're going to do the Big 12. And the team that has normally been the favorite, Oklahoma, is not the favorite this year. Let's tune in to Jenny Carlson and Barry Trammell from the Oklahoman as they look over the Big 12 this year and what to expect. Big 12 champion. Who wins this thing? I've got the Cowboys. And the number one reason, I think OSU, OU, TCU and even Texas are pretty close. I don't think uh, it'd be surprised if any of those four won it. However, the schedule is very advantageous for OSU. The Cowboys have to go to Austin, but they host OU, host TCU, host Baylor, host Kansas State. Of the five other good, the the five best teams other than OSU, they host four of them in Stillwater. It's a great scheduling advantage. I think uh, that's going to be to uh, to uh, OSU's favor. I think the Cowboys win the Big 12. Yep, I got the Cowboys winning it too. I think there's there's just a lot going right for the Cowboys heading into this year. Uh, this is going to be a, there's going to be a lot of question marks all around the league, but I think one thing you know for sure is that Oklahoma State is going to score a lot of points. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter who's calling the plays, who's running the plays. This offense gets results, and I think their defense is going to be better. But I think the offense. You know, you know quarterback-wise what you're going to get. TCU, will Casey Paul Hall be there at the end of the year? OU, what's that going to look like? How is the offensive change going to going to play out with Blake Bell or whomever starts for them? Texas, David Ash is still David Ash. I mean, there's still a lot of questions about quarterbacks, but OSU, you pretty much know those guys are going to produce. So that's why I got the Cowboys winning the whole thing too. Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Who you got, Barry? Well, I like a guy who didn't even finish the season last year, uh, Casey Payhall, the TCU quarterback. Uh, an outstanding NFL prospect, uh, the active leader in passing efficiency in, in college football, but he hadn't kept his nose clean. Suspended uh, from the team from school last year, uh, had some drug problems, had a DUI, had to go to rehab. He's brought back in the fold, says he's, uh, says he's uh, going to uh, walk the straight and narrow. Gary Patterson believes in him. If Casey Payhall plays and can stay out of trouble, he's the Big 12's best quarterback. I think he'll be the offensive player of the year. It, it, he's an interesting story for sure, but I'm going with a guy that's a little bit more of a known commodity. I'm going to go with Lake Seastrunk, the Baylor running back. He finished the season fantastically a year ago, six games over 1,000 yards. He's talked about being a guy who can win the Heisman Trophy, and I don't think it's far-fetched. I think he's... Very talented, very good, and they're going to use him extensively. Obviously, one of those teams in the Big 12 breaking in a new quarterback, Baylor is. So uh, when you've got a hand like him, you're going to give the ball to him. All right, what about Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, Barry? Who you got there? Well, I'm going to stay with the Horned Frogs. Got a bunch of elite ball players. Jason Verrett is uh, his top uh, cornerback. 
a wonderful, uh, wonderful commodity to have in the Big 12. You've got to have corner play in this league. TCU has it. TCU, one of the few teams that actually played legitimate defense last season. Devontae Fields, defensive end, excellent player. A good pick uh, as well for this. He's suspended for game one, though, against LSU. Jason Verrett, not suspended. He's a big-time cornerback. I think he's the best defensive player in the conference. I'm going with a, a defensive lineman who made some big waves last year, and that's Calvin Barnett, the Oklahoma State defensive lineman. A newcomer of the year a year ago, an outstanding season for him as a, a transfer junior in, a, in the Stillwater. I think he's going to have a big year in this revamped Oklahoma State defense. Uh, you know, they're talking about it being a lot more aggressive. Uh, that means cornerbacks covering better, allowing defensive linemen to get more pressure. I think they're going to bring a lot more pressure, too. And Calvin Barnett's a guy that uh, was recruited by the SEC, so they know his talent. I think he is that caliber of defensive uh, tackle. I think he's really going to anchor that defense, and I'm looking for big things out of Calvin Barnett. I'm picking him. All right, Barry, what about this? Big 12 Coach of the Year. Who you got in this uh, category? Well, I'm going to go with Mike Gundy because I'm picking the Cowboys to win. And, uh, frankly, uh, generally we give the uh, Coach of the Year to the surprise team of the conference. When, when I did my picks uh, in the Big 12, I didn't have anybody inordinate, out of space, out of line. Um, I didn't have anybody uh, with a big jump. I wasn't picking Kansas State to finish second or something. Um, you know, I, I'm, I was pretty much along the company line. So if that's the case, uh, I got to pick the team uh, that I'm going to that I pick to win it. So I, I, I'm going with Mike Gundy. Well, I am going to go with Bill Snyder on this. I, you know, I don't think the I don't think the Wildcats are going to be fantastic this year. I think where they got picked to finish in the conference in that fourth, fifth, sixth range is about right. But they always seem to surprise, and that a lot of that has to do with Bill Snyder and their ability to take guys and coach them up and get them in the right schemes, and so. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that we got it wrong again as the media and our picks and that the, the Wildcats are gonna surprise. So I'm gonna go with Snyder. Wouldn't be surprised to see them finish higher than any of us think. Well, as you heard them say, Oklahoma State is the favorite to win the conference this year. Last year they were eight and five overall, five and four in the conference, and two and three against the top twenty five. They'll open up on August thirty first against Mississippi State, but their coach Mike Gundy is coy over who's going to start at quarterback for the Cowboys this season. Will it be senior Clint Chelf or will it be sophomore J.W. Walsh? We've got uh, two young men that we feel very comfortable with, and uh, they, they've worked and are extremely dedicated to our program. They're, they're great team players, and uh, they'll get equal reps. The one advantage we have in our offense is in, in practice and in even in games, we get a number of reps because of our tempo, uh, and we expect to play very fast this year. Uh, so we'll work both guys. We feel very comfortable with them. Uh, won't say much and, uh, until after the first game. Um, we play a very quality opponent the first game, and so uh, we'll need to, to use every advantage we have to give, her, give ourselves the best opportunity to win that game. Meanwhile, in Texas, there's a big controversy brewing on the Longhorn campus, and it's about Mac Brown. They're coming back from a 9-4 and overall season, 5-4 and in conference play, 2-3 and against the top 25, and they're going to open up on August 31st also against New Mexico State. But Mac Brown, when you talk to him, he believes the Longhorns will be strong at quarterback as well as at running back this season. We're excited about starting our 16th year at the University of Texas. Uh, we took a lot of momentum out of our win over Oregon State in the Alamo Bowl and had an outstanding spring, and it sounds like the same thing has happened this summer. One of the best things about today, it is our starting point for the season, but we had a chance to sit down with David Ash and Trey Hopkins and uh, Jackson Jeffcoat and Adrian Phillips last night, and the NCAA doesn't allow us to ask them who was at workouts this summer, and, uh, but you can have casual conversation, and, and it was... Uh, uh, you will hear from our guys today that uh, with 19 of 22 starters back, uh, we'll have more experience. Uh, we'll have more depth. Um, the leadership is much better than it's been over the past couple of years because the guys are older. Uh, they understand that nine's not what we want to win at Texas, and they're very excited to get started. Uh, Vince and, and Colt won a lot of football games. I think Vince was 30 and two, and Colt was like 45 and seven or 45 and nine or something. So uh, that's a load, but that's our expectation for David. David's really grown up. He's he's learned a whole lot. There were times last year that he played like um, Colt and he played like Vince, and 
and looked as good as anybody in the country. And then there were other times where he struggled some. Uh, but we think we've got better players around him now. We should be better in the offensive line. He is much more confident than at any time. I thought his comeback in the Alamo Bowl really, really helped him with our team, uh, with his confidence, and, and I think it helps him nationally. And I think he'll have a big year. We're really excited about the, the three running backs, Joe Bergeron, Malcolm Brown, and, and Jonathan Gray. And it's been very unfortunate that uh, the three have not been healthy at one time very much of, of any of the past two seasons. So Jonathan was healthy throughout the year last year, but Malcolm missed six, seven ball games. Uh, Joe has been hurt on and off, so we're hoping that we can keep them healthy. We will be an up-tempo offense this year. We're, we're planning on getting more plays, and we feel like we've got plenty of plays and plenty of balls that, that we can get to them, but more than anything else, they haven't stayed healthy. We need to be healthier as a team. We are previewing the Big 12 conference here this evening. That was Texas coach Mac Brown talking about just how good the Longhorns will be, and he needs to put up some wins this year in order to save his job next year. Well, speaking of a coach that couldn't save his job, that was Tommy Tuberville at Texas Tech. He decided to bolt from that school and head over to Cincinnati to take over that job. So what did they do? They went out and hired Cliff Kingsbury. Texas Tech last year was 8-5 and five on the season, 4-5 and five in conference play. And in the top 25, they finished 2-4. and four, But they'll open on a Friday night, August 30th, at SMU. And Kingsbury, taking over for Tommy Tuberville, says that he's ready to get the new football season underway. The parity in this league, it's exciting. I think you go in week in and week out, and everybody feels they have a chance to win this league. And it may not be that in that other one I just came from. So excited to get back. There's great offensive minds, and there's great defensive minds as well. So it'll be a challenge each and every week. We were really pleased with Michael Brewer and Davis Webb's progress in the spring. Those guys kind of separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Uh, so we'll get them to fall camp, probably go about two weeks, and it varies before naming a starter, but try and get two scrimmages in, see how the seven-on-seven has gone this summer, uh, see how much films that they've done, and, and just who separates themselves. And we did a similar deal last year at Texas A&M. worked out a little bit for us, so hopefully we have that same success. I think, you know, you look at the numbers that people are throwing for out there, under Coach Leach, and um, even last year they were second in the country and throwing the football. It's more just an attitude. You practice in it each and every day, and you get used to it, and and it can psych other teams out. They come to town, and it's blowing 50 miles per hour, and they don't think they can throw. But we do it each and every day, and and it's more just throwing a a tight spiral. Arm strength, um, it helps. But if you can keep your ball tight in the wind um, and be accurate in those circumstances, then you'll be all right. We're big on having a QB that can extend plays, and it doesn't have to mean rushing yards always. You know, in Houston we had Case Keenan who had great feet, and he could keep a play alive by getting out of the pocket, finding his receivers downfield. So we definitely want a guy who can move and and escape the pocket and, and keep things, really extend the play down the field. Texas Christian University, otherwise known as TCU. Boy, have they turned the corner under head coach Gary Patterson. Last year, though, they had a down year. Seven and six, four and five in the conference, and two and three against the top 25. But they'll open at home against LSU on August 31st. Boy, what a big game that's going to be. Patterson expects a tough start to the season for his Horned Frogs as they do face off with LSU in the opener. Well, for us, we're excited. I think all coaches this time of year, um, um, for us, year two being in the Big 12, knowing a little bit more about it. Uh, buying less diapers. We're not quite as young a football team as we were a year ago. Um, still feeling like we're young. A lot of players that we thought we had last year that we didn't have that are back, along with our younger football teams. So for us, uh, growing up, understanding we have a big ball game right out of the gate as far as you guys are concerned, playing a program like LSU, uh, we're excited about that. A lot of people, you know, taking the philosophy of not playing games, uh, but it's as far as TCU is concerned, to be able to play a game and play a program uh, like LSU that's had national implications over the last few years with a coach like Les Miles is somebody that uh, you want to be a part of. If you want to play well in the Big 12, you got to play well at quarterback. Uh, even last year when Trayvon played well, we won. When he didn't play well, we lost. And uh, you got to play good defense. So uh, having a, a Casey Paha back that was playing, I think he was the number one ranked uh, quarterback after four games when uh, you know we set him aside. I think uh, tells you that if he comes back and plays at that level, he gives us a better chance to win.
If it is Casey as the starter, you have a Trayvon that really can beat you with his legs. How do you do that? But he, he really developed. He had an unbelievable spring, to be honest with you, uh, which bodes well for us because he's only going to be a sophomore for us for the future after this season. Um, but I think, you know, you give a quality of understanding that they can't just going into a ball game, if he's going to play some, you can't just say that your game plan is all about a guy uh, that's, that's a thrower and he hands it off and he does a great job of checking and has a strong arm. I think you better you have to get ready for both of them, just like uh, we've done for other co- uh, other schools in this conference. You know, they have a guy that can throw it, a guy that does a better job running. And for a defensive guy, that's, that's a lot different animal because you've got to put a little bit more work into it. Nationally ranked and out of Norman, Oklahoma, are the Sooners and Bob Stoops. 10-3 and three last year, 8-1 and one in Big 12 Conference play. Against top 25 schools, they were 2-3, and three, and they'll open up with Louisiana Monroe on August 31st. Stoops just signed a new contract extension to stay in Oklahoma through the year 2020, and he's ready to start another season. We're anxious to get have a chance to get with them, start coaching them, start uh, trying to make some improvements as we go into the year. Um, and, and, you know, we have an, an incredibly tough uh, schedule throughout, but in particular when you look at the first six games with our non-conference schedule to go with, um, you know, to go with West Virginia and Texas, I believe, in our first couple of games uh, also is just uh, really challenging and difficult. And... Uh, and and so it'll it'll be a tough challenge when you when you look at that first half of the season. But we traditionally have scheduled very difficult, so it'll be a it'll be a big challenge for the coaches and players to to be able to play not only those games but then finish out the year. We have great uh, three great players here with us: Trey Millard, our, our great fullback, H back, running back, um, uh, number 33 for us. Uh, and then Gabe Eichard uh, on our offensive line, who could really play center and guard, could play tackle if we needed to. Uh, great young man. Uh, he's already graduated. Uh, Trey Miller graduates in December. And then uh, Aaron Colvin, uh, our cornerback, who's a great, excellent player for us, uh, who number 14, uh, and uh, he is uh, will graduate in December. These guys are great student athletes and great kind of leaders and on our team and the big 12 is a conference this year that has a lot of quarterback intrigue as to who will be starting quarterbacks this year meanwhile the same goes in oklahoma as blake bell is the anticipated starting quarterback but stoop says don't be so sure about that a couple other guys are in a good competition with him that are doing really well uh kendall thompson and trevor knight uh, to go along with Blake Bell. We've never been real excited about naming a guy too early. So they're working hard as well. But, but you asked, and you, the rest of your question, Blake is a guy that does throw the football well. You know, we have a, a history in, in my going on 15 years of having guys in quarterbacks that are really excellent throwers, and Blake fits that mold. Uh, we would never recruit a guy uh, that we didn't feel would be a great passer. Uh, so he's he works hard at it. Um, he throws a great deep ball. So to go along with his big physical presence and ability to run it, uh, we're, we're excited about the way he throws it too, yes. Well, you go from one of the better teams in the Big 12, Oklahoma, probably one of the worst teams, not only in the conference but in the country, and that is Kansas. They were 1-11 last year overall, 0-9 in the conference, and against top 25 schools, well, forget that. They were 0-5. And, and they're going to open up against those Jackrabbits of South Dakota on September the 7th. Their head coach is Charlie Weiss. He's anxious for the season to begin. Well, we're 1-11 and picked by everybody to finish last in the league, and that's justifiable. If I were you, I'd pick us in the same spot. We've given you no evidence. We've given you no reason at this at this time to be picked anywhere other than that. And I think that I've told our players and I told our coaching staff that until they start winning some games in the conference, that's just the way it's going to be. So obviously inside closed closed walls or inside our walls and closed doors, our expectations are much higher than everyone else. But the proof's in the pudding. 
until we start beating some teams in the Big 12, which is quite a challenge with the, the ability and talent throughout the league. Um, we're going to be put in the same spot every year. It's been well documented to anyone who watched us play last year that although we had a, we had a pretty solid running game, we couldn't pass the ball and we couldn't score points. And I think that that's what I'm counting on you know, this year for us to be a more balanced team on offense. And I think Jake and Justin are two of the people that could help provide that for us. Last year, even though we weren't a very good football team, we had some quality, quality players at the running back position. That might be the only position that we had quality players as a group, but we've actually gotten stronger at that position than we were last year. So what that's allowed me to do is try to make Tony Pearson a more versatile player. You know, as I sat there and watched the last four or five games of that Austin guy at West Virginia just tearing it up as both a wide receiver and a running back, you know, I think that football sometimes doesn't have to be, you know, as as cerebral as some people try to make it. And I think that it's a copycat business. And when you can have a talent that you feel is similar to a guy that's being utilized properly, I think that if we can get Tony more involved in space, that'll that'll open up a lot of things for the rest of our running backs and our receivers in general. Honestly, I never could understand all the media hype that Charlie Weiss gets. He's still living of working under Bill Belichick for several years. But when this guy comes in to your home to try to recruit you as a football player at Kansas, listen to his recruiting speech that he readily admits at the Big 12 media days just about a week ago. Everyone wants to play. There's no one that wants to not play. So I said, have you looked at that pile of crap out there? Uh, have you taken a look at that? So if you don't think you can play here, where do you think you can play? That's a pretty simple approach. And either they, you know, that's not a sales pitch. That's practical. You've seen it, right? Unfortunately, so have I. And, of course, Charlie Weiss couldn't recruit at Notre Dame. And he's going to use that tactic to recruit at Kansas? Good luck, Jayhawk fans. Meanwhile, on the other side of the state, it's Kansas State. Well, they were 11-2 and last year, 8-1 and in the conference, 5-1 and against the top 25, and they open up against North Dakota State on Friday night, August the 30th. Well, their head coach is the elder statesman in the Big 12. That's Bill Snyder. And Snyder says that his club lost several great players last year, so they need to pay attention to the details this season. Well, I, you know, most of them are probably intrinsic things again. Uh, you know, I would, you know, always have a concern about young people uh, and, and older people like myself and some of our coaches as well. You know, not taking anything for granted, not taking our performance level for granted. Uh, based on, you know, whatever the program has done up to this point in time. You know, as I said before, dynamics of each year are, are truly different. Uh, I think, you know, as, as far as uh, personnel is concerned, you know, we still don't have a uh, starting quarterback yet. Uh, we did lose, you know, depending on whose count, uh, nine, uh, probably nine returning uh, or lost nine defensive starters. Uh, you know, in addition to Colin, we had, even though we returned uh, a substantial number of starters on offense, we still, you know, lost some extremely talented young guys. Chris Harper, a, you know, a, a big play wide receiver, and uh, Braden Wilson, uh, you know, we miss his toughness uh, tremendously. We are previewing the Big 12 Conference here on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. I'm Dave Mitchell, and let's move to a quaint little community. Nice campus in Ames, Iowa, and it's the home of the Iowa State Cyclones, and their head coach is Paul Rhodes. They finished 6-7 and seven last year, 3-6 and six in the conference, and they were 1-3 and three against top 25 schools, and they're going to open up the season against Northern Iowa on August 31st. Rhodes is entering his fifth year on the campus of Ames, and he's looking forward to this season. Uh, I've been blessed with great staff continuity and, and uh, looking forward to entering this fifth campaign with this group. And number two, uh, we have the least amount of starters returning in the uh, Big 12 Conference, and I'm excited to have that staff uh, to be able to coach these young kids. Uh, this year's senior class, we've got 16 seniors 
and this is the first group that's come full cycle with us. Fifth-year guys uh, that we've recruited, that we've brought in and put out on the field. I think uh, those 16 seniors are going to help us overcome uh, uh, the youth that will be out on the field for us. They're a very energetic group. Um, they're a hard-working group, and, and uh, they've got a passion for Iowa State University and, and, and playing our brand of football. A uh, little bit about our football team. Uh, we feel we have a returning uh, starter and quarterback, Sam Richardson. Uh, our running back position uh, is the deepest it's ever been uh, and has what we feel uh, pretty good quality. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, we'll lean on two people uh, or two position groups, if you will. Linebacker led by Jeremiah George, a uh, fourth-year senior uh, who played in between and side-by-side -side with the great A.J. Klein and, and Jake Knott a year ago. Uh, and then our safety position, Jacquez Washington, who's with me today, uh, and Dion Broomfield, two proven players that have played a lot of uh, successful football for us at Iowa State. Uh, and then special teams, uh, we believe we got the best punter uh, in college football. Kirby Vanderkamp, if you really analyze him and what he's done, uh, pinning people inside the 20 uh, with a very small amount of, of touchbacks, uh, simply stated, I just think he's the best there is in, in college football. Uh, we're we're going to take all this and, and uh, approach a schedule uh, that once again will be in the top ten, if not the top five, toughest in college football. It's not that that necessarily concerns me. Uh, it's how this schedule unfolds. In, in our first six games, so the first half of the season, every preparation is different for us. For example, we have uh, the first game coming out of training camp. Then we got a 14-day preparation. Uh, then we have a 12-day preparation in there, a 9-day preparation, a Thursday-to-Thursday Thursday game. It isn't until the second half of the season that we're playing normal Saturday-to-Saturday Saturday football games, and that will be a challenge for our staff and our kids and one we look forward to. Paul Rhodes, the head coach of the Iowa State Cyclones, being very detailed about what his club has to face in the 2013 Big 12 season. Moving to the east, Go to West Virginia, where they were seven and six last year, four and five in the conference, two and two against top twenty-five schools, and they really fell apart in the second half of the season. They're going to open up with William and Mary on August thirty-first. Dana Holgerson is their head coach, and he takes a look at the New Look Mountaineers, especially after losing quarterback Geno Smith. They need to find themselves not only a new quarterback, but that's no different than seven or eight other teams in this Big 12 conference. The quarterback play in the Big 12 last year was, was phenomenal. Uh, and, and it's always going to be phenomenal. It's just going to be with newer people, you know. So uh, who our guy is going to be, I don't know. You know, we got we got, uh, we got got Clint Trickett coming in who, who has probably as much experience in the college game as anybody in the Big 12 just because he's, he's, he's been a starter in some big games. He's, he's been around it his whole life. Uh, very smart kid, graduated at Florida State in three years, backed up two first-round draft picks at, at Florida State in, in three years. So uh, he's been around it his whole life and, and is, is, is a good player and, and didn't, didn't, didn't tell him that he was going to start either. He's got to come in and beat an experienced Paul Millard out uh, who, who uh, is uh, taking more reps than anybody on our campus. I mean, he's taken 50% of the reps for a long, long time in practice. So. Uh, he knows the offense better than anybody, and then you got Ford Childress, who's going to continue to get better and better. He may have more potential than than any of the other two guys. He's just he's just young with four four years remaining. So uh, I, I like where we're at with it, you know, and and look forward to getting there and being able to coach him. I'm not going to put a timetable on it. When one of those guys steps up, we're going to name the starter and move forward with reps. I haven't lost any sleep over Tavon and Stedman moving on to the NFL. Two great players, but that holds people back. It's not the first time that we've lost receivers in the NFL and then been able to line up the next year and execute our offense. So uh, it gets me a little bit excited to be able to get out there and face the challenge of being able to take 10, 12 guys and, and coach them, you know, and, and try to develop them. I mean, when I got to West Virginia two and a half years ago, there was a couple of guys that hadn't made a tremendous amount of plays. And we coached them, and we developed them, and they turned into phenomenal football players and were playing the league for a long time. Leave it to West Virginia to have such jazzy music when they interview their coach. Nonetheless, let's move back out west and go to Baylor, another school from Texas, and that'll wrap up our preview of the Big 12 Conference tonight. The Bears, last year, their first season without 
their quarterback, Robert Griffin III, who went to Washington in the NFL. They finished 8-5 and five a year ago, 4-5 and five in the conference, and 3-3 three and three against top 25 schools. They're going to open with Wolford on August 31st, and their head coach, Art Bryles, talks about the new players coming into Baylor and just what they are going to have to do for the Bears to have another winning season. You know, we had a guy transferred in a year ago, uh, Sean Oakman uh, from Penn State, set out last year. We think he's very much so going to be an impact player. Sean's about 6'7", 275. He's got good length, defensive end. Uh, Robbie Rhodes, who we felt like last year as a recruiting class, we signed the, the fastest guy in America, the strongest guy in America, and the best receiver in America. Robbie Rhodes, we felt like, was the best receiver in the United States of America. He's on campus now. He's working out. You know, getting ready to go this fall. So when we get a chance to get him on the field and see how it all, you know, transfers from high school to college, he's a guy that could have an opportunity to play. Uh, Andrew Billings is the strongest guy in the United States of America. Broke a 22-year-old powerless mark held by Mark Henry, uh, you know, back in May. You know, he he's he's a guy that can play. We knew he was strong. We knew he was uh, passionate. I just didn't know he was that agile and, you know, uh, dedicated. You know, he's a guy that really wants to be great. So he's another guy. And then the, the guy that we felt like was the fastest guy in America that, that played football is Kyle Fulks out of Katy, Texas, running 10-2-1. But I would say that uh, Andrew and Robbie just right now have the best chance going in. And do you know who Browse was talking about there, Mark Henry? He's the 400-pound wrestler with the WWE, pronounced as the strongest man in the world. And there you're talking about Mark Henry. Well, that's going to do it for our Big 12 preview tonight. Boy, if you take a look at these conferences, the Big 12 has got to be probably the least talented out of all the conferences that we're going to take a look at between the SEC, Pac-12, Big 12, and the Big 10. But you have to look at Oklahoma State to win the conference this year with Oklahoma maybe coming in second. And Kansas State, they are always a surprise coming in third. And next week, we're going to take a look at the Pac-12. Let's go back to the Big Ten, though, tonight to wrap up the show with our final story, and that is going to revisit a story from last week when we really went off the deep end at Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, and that was because of Urban Meyer. Well, the Carlos Hyde incident is over. There was no determination of whether Carlos Hyde hit the woman in the nightclub two weeks ago or not. I've seen the videotape. You really can't tell if he does or not. She did hit him. That's fairly evident. And the police have dropped all charges, they said, based upon the woman just not wanting to press the charges. But nonetheless, Urban Meyer has suspended Carlos Hyde for the first three games of this season and possibly more because there are several stipulations that Hyde has to meet in order to be placed back on the team. Now, there's no word yet on Brandon Hyde, who's been indefinitely suspended from the club also. The cornerback had charges filed against him in an Indiana court, and Urban Meyer has stated that he will decide what is going on in the Hyde case as soon as he gets all the facts on the story. That's going to do it for tonight's show. So glad you decided to join us on this Thursday evening. Next Thursday night, we are going to preview the Pac-12 and take a look at who's going to win that conference. We'll talk to all the coaches, listen to them during their media days, and then in two weeks, it's the Big Ten. And don't forget to join us on Monday night, everyone, as Mark Donahue and I talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. You know, last Monday night was just an outstanding show, and that was because you participated in the show, and we want to see that again. You can contact us via Facebook, Twitter, in our chat room. You can do it here on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show also, and we'll be back next Thursday night with another one of these shows at 7 o'clock. That's going to do it for us on this Thursday evening, though. Don't forget, Monday night at 9 o'clock, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, and next Thursday night at 7 o'clock, I'll be back with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Our thanks to all of you who listened this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week. Have a good weekend, everyone. Good night.